Welcome to the Da Vinci Hour, a podcast series that interviews individuals across the field of medicine to help provide an inside look into their experiences and provide insight on how to navigate the journey of becoming a physician. My name is Dr. Maxwell Cooper, and I will be your host. This podcast is brought to you by Da Vinci Academy, a medical education company that provides online video courses, outline format books, and clinical case videos for students studying the medical basic sciences. You can check out all that DaVinci Academy has to offer at www.dbiacademy.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the DaVinci Hour podcast. We are here with Dr. Matt T. Brown, and he is a cardiology fellow here at Emory University and recently finished his internal medicine residency where he was actually my senior resident when I was a TY intern in the medical ICU. So Matt and I had a lot of fun on that one. Um, and we're gonna have a lot of fun on this one too. Uh, just a little background on Dr. Brown. He did his undergraduate work at Duke University and then earned his MD from the Medical College of Georgia, just nearby here in uh, Augusta, Georgia. And then, like I said, just finished his internal medicine residency here at Emory University as well and making his way through cardiology fellowship now. So Matt, thanks for joining us, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Maxwell. It's great to be a part of the program. All right, Matt. So to kind of kick us off here, why don't you kind of take us through uh, a typical day on the inpatient service for a cardiology fellow? Like, you know, what time do you get there? What are your kind of like your main responsibilities, like the workflow, those types of things? The, the workflow is, is very dependent on which rotation I'm on. Uh, but the typical days is usually starting at eight in the morning and running to five um, when our, all our pages flip to the on-call cardiology fellow. Uh, but right now I'm on the general cardiology service. So my day typically looks like uh, very similar to how you would expect a med- medicine resident resident day to go. I'm, I'm rounding on all our primary patients um, and chart reviewing. Uh, but in addition to that, I'm reviewing any diagnostic tests that we've, that we've recommended, um, whether that be an echo, a stress test, um, or if someone's had a cath the day before, then I'm looking at those films um, and, and interpreting exactly what the reports are saying and making sure everything adds up. Uh, I'll be working with interns. I'll be working with nurse practitioners and APPs. Um, and also seeing cardiology consults, um, which is, is kind of a different side of things from the typical medicine residency. Now, I do have full months where I'm on imaging rotations and that is like a totally different language. Um, very, very different um, in terms of both learning how to perform these studies correctly, mainly transthoracic echoes, but also transesophageal echoes. Um, and then on the flip side, learning how to interpret those imaging. So I'm, I'm back to the books and I'm working with uh, uh, my cardiology attendings uh, to be able to review reads and, and be able to pick up on things that I, you know, I thought I was pretty, pretty good at determining ejection fraction, but now these numbers that I'm reporting are going in the reports. So it's, it's very different. It's, it's gaining a lot more responsibility. Sure. Sure. And I guess, I guess kind of going off that, you mentioned that now you have, which I kind of, which I imagine is kind of a, maybe an unusual experience that now you have, you know, the, you have medicine residents, um, on working under you or working, you know, with you in the, on the service, I guess, what, 
what do you feel like is the like the biggest change you've noticed in like your responsibilities versus um like being the medicine resident on the cardiology service versus the cardiology fellow yeah this is a it was an interesting experience a transition from third year medical resident to first year cardiology fellow and you know it just happens overnight and <laughs> i i was i ended up starting my cardiology fellowship on one of the same rotations that i had done three years before, uh, as an intern. Um, and the, the biggest difference was really taking that, taking that first call from the ED, um, from somewhere in the hospital, hospital medicine for a consult, um, and, and being able to listen to the story and having the first, first take on what the next step was going to be, uh, whether it was, you know, go, we need to, Kind of work this up further. Uh, we need to do some diagnostic imaging first. We need to stress, or we go directly to the cath lab. Uh, and of course, um, during my first month, I was always talking things over with the cardiology attendings to make sure <laughs> these these <laughs> plans were were on the on the along the right lines. Sure, uh, sure. So I think it, it's really that step up in responsibility, and then at the same time really being able to review the diagnostic imaging that's been performed on patients um, and really feel comfortable uh, making decisions based off of those rather than just relying on the report that's that's kind of generated in front of our eyes. Sure, sure. And I, I feel like you've, you've touched on this. It seems like also kind of making those those higher level like management decisions is now like more in like kind of more in your hands. Because yeah, I feel like I remember as an intern always when I would consult cardiology, like I usually would talk to the fellow and usually they, I was like always so impressed. Like the fellow, like, you know, would get back to me and they'd have this like clear plan and like, they'd say like, do this, this and that. And then, you know, it's, um, I, I guess it, it's, I, it seemed to more like fall on the, on the fellow. If, if that seemed, does that seem fair to you or. Yeah. Being on the consulting side of things, it, it is a very different feel uh, than making all the primary decisions. Um, I think when you're, being asked a specific question, uh, you're able to kind of focus in and still consider everything that's going on um, and then be able to come up with that specific answer or at least come up with the diagnostics that you that you need in order to be, make the most informed decision, whether that be getting an echo or sending someone for a stress test. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and then I guess kind of going off that, what you know, I think when people think of cardiology, they think of you guys, you know, having to deal with, you know, like uh, heart attacks or myocardial infarctions, you know, emergent issues. Um, so I guess when you guys do take call, uh, I think probably a lot of, you know, listeners would be curious, what, what's, what's your typical call, uh, shift? Like, what are, what do you guys get called about? What are you kind of having to deal with, um, those types of things? Absolutely. Yeah. This was the, uh, the most intimidating, intimidating part of, cardiology fellowship, I had no idea what, what calls were going to be like. And at Emory, we have a home call system, you know, we're divided up across four different sites. Luckily there's a, there's a good group of cardiology fellows and a good group at each site. Um, so we divide up the month, uh, of call and we typically have four to five kind of either overnight calls or weekend calls, um, throughout the month. Um, so, you know, when our 
daily duties are over at 5 p.m. The page returns to us and we, you know, I usually try to stick around the hospital for a little bit longer than I normally would uh, just in case anything and anything comes through um, that I'm going to need to be there before heading home. Uh, there are plenty of occasions where we do get a call from mainly the emergency room, sometimes another ICU in the hospital. And the, the most emergent things that, that we get called for are uh, pulmonary emboli. And in that case, um, needing to go in and perform a transthoracic echo uh, to be able to look for right heart strain. Um, usually after our, a radiologist reads out right heart strain on the CTP protocol. <laughs> gotcha. And we, and we, and we put in our report better, yeah, be, better, yeah. <laughs> better evaluated by cardiac echo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, that's, that's the truth. Um, yeah, so, yeah. you know, cardiac, cardiac tamponade is another thing that we get called about. Uh, and of course, heart attacks, uh, whether it be, and there's all different types of heart attacks. Usually we've adapted the high sensitivity troponin assay. So, you know, even the small troponin leaks, um, we, we do get called about and you know, it's up to us to be able to make the decision, whether are we starting heparin or are we, uh, what additional diagnostics do we need? Do I need to come in and do an echo and look for wall motion abnormalities? Um, or, you know, is this bad enough? Is it a concerning enough story that I'm calling the interventional fellow on call to, to kind of hear out the story and decide whether or not to activate the cath lab. Uh, you know, all those things don't, you know, you, you hope and you pray and all those things don't happen in one night. Uh, <laughs> and there are nights where you're able to, to sleep soundly and, and not get called in. Uh, but it's, it has been a, an experience. And, you know, every time I'm on call and I, I learn something. That's awesome. Hope, hope, hopefully better experiences than those, those 28 hour calls you and I did together yes. in, in, in the medical ICU. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes. Uh, those are, uh, we don't have any of those. I'm, I'm happy to say that's, no that's, <laughs> 28 hour calls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was something else to say the least. Um, but yeah, so it sounds like, it sounds like on, on call you're, um, dealing with like more, you know, obviously it sounds like either ER or the ICU is giving you, giving you a call about like an emergent, either a new patient coming through the door, or like you said, like someone who's already on the floor develops a PE or, or develops, um, do you get called much about like, like abnormal heart rhythms or, or, or things like that, or like severe, like persistent tachycardia? Is that something you guys get called a lot overnight about? Yes, it is. That is a very common condition to get called about, especially AFib with the RVR. Um, and then you have to make the decision based on if you, if you do have an echo to, to know what the ejection fraction is, then, um, you feel more comfortable with certain agents, but if you don't, then you're, you're kind of in this guessing game. And yeah. luckily there's an EP service around. So, you know, if we have questions that I can always reach out to, to the EP guys for some higher level thought. Oh, nice. Um, nice. Nice. Yeah. That is, a. Uh, that is the great benefit of the, the academic setting where there is uh, an expert, whether it be interventional, EP, advanced heart failure, congenital, they call away. And we, we have all those fellowships here at Emory too. So um, usually you can go through a fellow and, and get their advice. We're going to take a quick break to let you know the Da Vinci Hour podcast is brought to you by Da Vinci Academy, which provides online video courses for the medical basic sciences. 
These courses are taught using a variety of teaching methods, including bullet point outlines, diagrams, radiology images, and chalk talks to explain the fundamental concepts. We then teach the application of those concepts to numerous clinical pearls that are frequently tested on medical school exams and the USMLE. Our video courses are available on our website, dviacademy.com, as monthly subscriptions starting at $9.99 per month. Each video course has a corresponding outline format textbook as well. You can find the link to our website in the description below. Also, be sure to use the discount code TDH20 to receive 20% off any of our video courses. All right, now back to the podcast. So yeah, so kind of going off of that as well, what you know, what are the typical rotations in a cardiology fellowship? I mean, it's three years long. Like, what do you, what, how does that time like broken up essentially? Depends on the institution here at, here at Emory. And I will say there, there is a, a guiding curriculum for cardiology fellowship. Uh, it's called the, the co-cats and there's, it's, that is divided up into more or less 15 different kind of merits that you need to be able to meet over the course of your cardiology training. Um, among those 15 different kind of merits are different levels um, that you can advance through depending on how many procedures or how many, how much exposure you get to certain areas. Um, so every cardiology fellowship is built to be able to meet certain requirements. Um, I will say here at Emory, our first year is very much so clinically based. Um, there are a couple different tracks and I am currently a clinical cardiology fellow. Um, so my first year is divided up among many different primary services, uh, mainly between general cardiology, heart failure, and consulting rotations, uh, where I'm acting as a clinical consultant for anyone in the hospital, whether it be general surgery, hospital medicine, OBGYN. Now, sprinkled in throughout this first year, we have some basic rotations in echo cardiography, um, learning how to both perform correctly, the transthoracic echo, um, as well as the transesophageal echo, um, and then also interpret both those different types of studies as the imaging and the, the views that you get of the heart are very different. Yeah. I was just to say, it's a, it's, I think we were talking about this before we started recording, just it's like, like doing ultrasound, but even, even more specialized, like you both you responsible for learning how to do it, but then also how to, how to read it, like you were saying. Uh, so yeah, I imagine that's a, that's a whole new skill set you've got to acquire. <laughs> right. And every patient that I've encountered has, has very different windows and different I've learned something every time that I've gone to perform a transthoracic echo myself. At the same time, there, there are different types of imaging rotations that we have as we're responsible for learning how to appropriately perform and interpret stress testing. And there's a wide array of stress testing available, whether that be cardiac CT, which is gaining in popularity um, as a, as a non-invasive diagnostic to be able to rule out large vessel occlusion. Um, sure. Or, yeah. I, I can speak on the, the radiology. Oh uh, yeah. We, 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 we see more of those popping up these days. We see more of those yeah. popping up and those, those and are pretty it, cool studies. And it's very site specific, uh, which stress testing modality we kind of gravitate towards at Emory Midtown. Uh, they're kind of seen as the, uh, 
you know, their specialty is really cardiac pet. Uh, so I've been able to sit in on some of those studies, even when I'm not on the rotation, but just kind of stepping into the reading room to follow up on my patients' studies um, on, from the general cardiology service. Um, at, at Grady, it seems like coronary CTA is the, the way that they risk stratify um, and similar to Emory University too. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, I'm at Grady now on chest imaging actually, and we've seen a lot of, of coronary CTs come up. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, glad we can play a role in your, in your guys, uh, your guys work as cardiologists for sure. Um, I guess, you know, you're talking about a lot of, a lot of different imaging and the different rotations. What, what are the like kind of subspecialties, if you will? Um, you know, like every, you know, everyone in medicine knows there's subspecialties of, of general medicine, but I think maybe people may not realize that they're, I feel like you and you and I talking about this when we were in the MICU, like there are a fair amount of like subspecialties for cardiology. Maybe if you could touch on that a little bit for people. Yeah. So there are a lot of super fellowships available. Um, you know, the, the road to cardiology is three years of internal medicine. And then there's three years of training to become a general cardiologist. Now at, at the end of those three years, you're, you're board certified to be able to practice in cardiology. You can, and depending on your level of proficiency and kind of in some of the, the co-cats that we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, you, you can get echo boarded and certified. Um, you're, you know, you've seen enough EKGs to be able to read a, all those. Uh, but beyond general cardiology training there, there are many super fellowships. There's pathways that lead towards interventional Um, And interventional is even branching even further nowadays into kind of two pathways beyond that interventional fellowship. And these, you know, you would go through interventional and you would learn how to perform percutaneous coronary angioplasty, um, basically placing stents. And now they've even become even more specialized to be looking at um, structural procedures where they're doing percutaneous valve replacements and repairs, or, and sometimes together, uh, they're even branching off to look into what they're calling complex coronary disease or chip procedures where you have interventionalists that have gone through further training to be able to learn how to open up chronic total occlusions or CTOs. Oh, wow. Uh, and that, that is all down the interventional pipeline that's, you know, in the cath lab doing left and right heart cats. Uh, and so that is, uh, that is kind of an exciting pathway. Um, sure. Kind of on the flip side, looking at more of the electrical system of the heart uh, and how the heart conducts there, there's a super fellowship and pathway for electrophysiology where they're responsible for a lot of the ablation procedures that you hear about for atrial fibrillation or supraventricular tachycardias. Um, they also put in pacemakers and defibrillators. Um, and that's now a, a two-year fellowship beyond general cardiology. And there, there are an array, a variety of imaging subspecialties that have become available, um, whether that be structural imaging or more specifically like cardiac CT or cardiac MRI. And there's, there is nuclear interest as well. I guess there are really two more. Um, one that I'm very interested in, and that's advanced heart failure and transplant, where you're managing patients usually with, you know, both types of heart failure, 
preserved ejection fraction or reduced ejection fraction and um, seeing them um, as the seeing patients in, in clinic and also in the hospital as there, there are heart failure specific services and managing them um, throughout their disease process and working on goal-directed medical therapy and exploring some of the more you know in, invasive options and potentially even heart transplant. Outside of that, there's also adult congenital heart disease um, with our growing patient population from the pediatric pool where patients are born with tetralogy of Fallot and different cardiac anomalies. Uh, and our cardiothoracic surgery team and pediatric cardiologists have become so successful in um, intervening early. Now, as, as those patients grow into adults, um, it and, and their physiology really changes. Um, the, the whole field of adult congenital heart disease has really grown out of that. Interesting. So it, what's really cool about cardiology, it sounds like, is there's a lot of different avenues you can go with. Uh, you can go pretty procedurally heavy, or you can, if you're uh, obviously more interested in some of the imaging aspects of things, you can kind of focus on that or, or the, and then obviously the more advanced uh, kind of like medical management uh, like you were talking about with the, like both the congenital heart uh, disease fellowship and then the advanced heart failure. Is there, I guess, is there a, is there a way to do like cardiac critical care? Like, can you be a cardiac critical care specialist from, cause like, I think most people, when they think of critical care, they think of like pulmonologists doing it or anesthesiologists. Like, is that something cardiologists can subspecialize in? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there, there are plenty of ways to get into uh, the critical care background. And actually one of my co-fellows now, he's Pulmcrit certified and he's, he's doing his cardiology fellowship on top of that. Oh, wow. uh, I think he's taking some time to do, he's in our research track right now. Now I am not totally sure of the pathways. Um, usually a lot of our coronary care unit or CCU physicians are adult congenital heart certified or advanced heart failure and transplant. Um, physicians, uh, but even from the general cardiology side of things, uh, there are there are avenues to get into the CCU um, as a as a generalist as well. Interesting, interesting. Okay, and I, I guess with that, you would be responsible for much like uh, analogous to like a neuro IC, where they both have to be experts in the brain and like high level, like you know, neurocritical care, but also just general you probably are responsible for a lot of like the general medicine, like you would be responsible for in the ICU as well. Absolutely. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the, the patients in the coronary critical care unit or CCU are going to be primary cardiac problems, but uh, it, it takes a full knowledge of all the body systems uh, to be able to best treat the patients. Sure. Sure. Um, you've mentioned uh, like, the cath lab and things like that are outside of like the interventional space. Are there, are there procedures you guys like that are kind of like your bread and butter procedures that you guys do, or your like diagnostic interventions that you guys do on a, on a regular basis? Absolutely. You know, outside, outside of the cath lab, there are plenty of cardiology diagnostics. Um, and a lot of them I'm involved with as a clinical fellow. Uh, a lot of it revolves around imaging. So the trans thoracic echo is kind of our, our bread and butter. Um, it's, it lets us know about how the heart is functioning, what the structure of the heart is like, are there valvular abnormalities, 
the flip side of that is uh, performing a transesophageal echo, uh, which is most typically used um, when we're when we're trying to rule out any sort of left atrial appendage thomas um, or evaluate for any sort of um, cardioembolic stroke etiology. That is, a, that is a very common procedure in the cardiology world. And one of the things that we do very commonly on our, our echo rotations. Uh, and that is a, a very different feel from the, the as you can imagine, the transthoracic echo. Sure, uh, sure. You know, we usually couple those TEEs with direct current cardioversions. Um, you know, we, we like to rule out thrombus with a transesophageal trans echo. Um, and simultaneously, as the patient is usually has a little bit of moderate sedation, go ahead and shock someone back into normal sinus rhythm. Other types of procedures that we do are really device interrogations. Um, you know, if someone comes in and they have a pacemaker and, uh, or more often a defibrillator and they're we're concerned about any sort of um, ventricular arrhythmias and if they say they've been shocked, then we'll, we'll grab the correct programmer as most are device specific uh, and be able to interrogate a device. And we actually gain a lot of information about what the heart is doing and um, the, the rate and the rhythm that a patient has been in. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about arrhythmias, you know, loop implantation, loop recorder implantation is some, is another diagnostic that is not one of the top things that people think about, uh, but is is very useful for kind of the cryptogenic stroke population, or if someone is having palpitations and we want to rule out any sort of kind of paroxysmal arrhythmia. Interesting. Interesting. I guess, and then that being said, if, if someone does want to do interventional cardiology, do, do you guys get early exposure to that, to those skills, or is that something you more refine? Like when you do go to interventional fellowship? Absolutely. And I, I should have mentioned this when you asked me about my, uh, my rotations, yeah. because, you know, we, we do have a very heavy exposure to the interventional world. Uh, we, every kind of cardiology fellowship involves time in the cath lab and, you know, I just finished up three months of uh, basically diagnostic left heart caths and right heart caths at Emory Midtown. Um, oh, cool. Um, I was the person that was consenting patients for their procedures uh, and talking over the correct access sites uh, with my attendings. And uh, from day one, I was getting arterial access, getting venous access, most of the time using ultrasound guidance. Um, and then putting our, our catheters, uh, through the vasculature. And, uh, I had some excellent teachers that were very patient and I feel very confident after my three months and kind of mastering the, the diagnostic portion of the, the heart cath. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. There's, there's more to come in my second year. We have an additional month and what's really nice about the Emory's program is a lot of it is front loaded where we go through and kind of check all the boxes of imaging rotations, consulting rotations, general services, and CC, CCU months. And we're left with a third year that we can really tailor to our own, our own liking. Um, whether that be 
you know, more time in the cath lab, thinking about interventional fellowship down the road, uh, or more time on electrophysiology services, or uh, even more imaging time uh, to be able to kind of get additional exposure to different types of imaging that are less commonly used, like cardiac MRI. Interesting. Yeah, that's nice. You get that third year to kind of like focus on uh, what you're what you hope to to do in practice. I guess one thing I'm wondering: Can you do as a general cardiologist? Can you do many caths or like um, like the diagnostic type of of like you know cath procedures that you're talking about without having to do interventional fellowship? Or is that is that kind of the way things are now? Is that more falling pretty exclusively to the interventional cardiologists? You know, it is. It is very interesting, and I think it's it's kind of evolved. Yes, as a general cardiologist, you're you're certified. You've had enough exposure and procedures to uh, to perform diagnostic heart cats, uh, both right and left. Um, now, if the procedure turns, um, meaning you know you find a blockage, uh, that's that's typically where you would call for an interventionalist to to step in and actually place place stents. And then as far as uh, on the other side of like the electrophysiology procedures you were talking about is the, are those pretty exclusively, like if you want to do those, you have to do the, the EP fellowship, or are there any of those that like a general cardiologist out in practice can, can do? You know, I'm, I'm drawn from some experience that uh, my wife who actually worked in the device industry um, has, has told me about, and she's seen, some general cardiologists pay, placing pacemakers and, um, and other devices. Uh, but I, I think the majority of people that she has worked with were electrophysiology trained, um, especially for ablations. Uh, that's kind of their bread and butter. Uh, so to say, I, I think that that sort of training is, is, and, uh, is necessary for, for the ablation side of things. Um, gotcha. Um, and then I guess last, maybe, maybe tell us a little bit more about the area you're interested in, like the advanced heart failure. Cause I, until you told me about that, when we were like working in the MICU together, um, I wasn't really familiar. Like, obviously I was familiar with like, you know, these are, you guys are dealing with critically ill, like heart patients and things like that. But I guess that this was a whole like other subspecialty in, in cardiology, which is pretty cool. Absolutely. The area that I'm really drawn to within cardiology is advanced heart failure and transplant. And that is, this is an area where you, there's a very diverse patient population. And I think that's what I like most about it. You can see patients of all ages with, with all different cardiac abnormalities, um, whether it be a, a mother with peripartum cardiomyopathy, um, you know, a young child with some sort of congenital heart disease um, or someone that is totally asymptomatic, but their family members have had heart disease and they've found out that they have some sort of familial trait or hereditary disease. Uh, so it, it really covers a, a wide array of encounters, whether it be in the outpatient setting um, where, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the, when you think of heart failure, you think of kind of critically ill patients, but you know, there's tons of patients walking around every day with um, reduced ejection fraction or systolic heart failure. And they're doing okay. They're, they're on medicines um, that have 
proven mortality benefits. Um, and in some cases, we are able to see that their heart function, while it was reduced at one point, has, has really regained some function. In the cases where you know, that, that isn't the case, patients come into the hospital with acutely compensated heart failure, you're able to see a really big difference and um, in a relatively short amount of time with high-dose diuretics, and you just can see someone feel better over the course of several days um, and really try to set them up for success as they go back out and, and get them into your clinic so that they don't come back into the hospital. Now, in the really refractory cases, you know, say someone is admitted to the coronary critical care unit or the CCU, uh, and they're in cardiogenic shock. There's so many different devices and technology out there to be able to manage somebody. And the, the ultimate is really undergoing heart transplantation. And that is where you get to work with a very diverse and interdisciplinary team um, with coordinators and therapists, as well as the cardiothoracic surgeons to be able to really plan and, and make sure that someone that receives a heart transplant is going to do well thereafter. That's pretty cool. And then the, I'm sure the, the inter, interdisciplinary aspect um, is really interesting too. That's, uh, that's, I'm sure it takes a, a complex team to manage some of those very complex patients. Um, Absolutely. I've been able to sit in on a, a few of the, the advanced heart, heart failure transplant meetings. You have surgeons on the call, you have uh, multiple heart failure doctors and uh, social workers that have gotten to know the family. And uh, yeah, not even the, just the patient, but the family members that are going to be supporting someone down the road. They, they really leave no stone unturned and, and want the best. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, um, it takes, uh, I guess something I didn't fully realize to get to residency is the amount of support system these, these patients need, uh, not just in the hospital, but when they leave the hospital, like you said, going off, kind of winding it back a little bit. I wanted to ask you, I was curious, um, when you were in medical school, what did you know you wanted to do cardiology or were you more just interested in like internal medicine and thought you kind of would figure it out in residency, maybe kind of take us through your path to cardiology. So going to the medical school, I really had had no idea um, what was out there. I I was a biomedical engineer as an undergrad, and I volunteered in the hospital. And I knew that I wanted to be able to interact with patients on a daily basis, and and that's what drew me to medicine. Um, I didn't really realize all the different specialties that were out there. Uh, so early on, as a medical student, I went to to every single kind of luncheon event to, to learn more about the different specialties. And I know I, I took advantage of the opportunities to get more involved and to shadow uh, throughout my first and second year. And then third year, I, I went through rotations and, you know, I think everybody as they go through rotations kind of keeps a, a, a checklist and, and kind of weighs the pros and cons. And I was, it was really kind of up in the air, really going into into fourth year, I think the thing that really steered me towards medicine was the amount of patient interaction that I, that I was exposed to on my internal medicine wards. And from my first and second year, I was able to get involved in some research and it happened to be with a mentor in cardiology that is still a mentor to this day. And I was able to shadow him. And, you know, so I got, I got this kind of first glimpse of cardiology early on through that research experience. And then 
I, I knew the pathway to it was through internal medicine. And I did enjoy my time on the internal medicine wards and I was able to get, gain more exposure in the outpatient setting during fourth year. And that's how I knew that it was going to be a fit. Nice. Nice. And then I guess when you got to medicine residency, were you leaning pretty hard towards cardiology or were you kind of keeping an open mind? And, and then I guess what, what during residency kind of clinched it for you to commit to cardiology? Yeah. Entering med, medicine residency, I, I did very much so have cardiology in mind. I really enjoyed my rotations uh, through the, the general cardiology rotations. And then uh, we had the opportunity to also rotate on the advanced heart failure service and through the CCU. Emory's program is, is very well ingrained with the cardiology program. And I loved every experience and was able to find great mentors and delve further into research with them after being exposed to uh, their different teaching on service. Nice. Nice. So you, so you mentioned that the path to cardiology, like you said, you have to do internal medicine. Um, and then, and then you do cardiology fellowship after that. So it's six years directly total, I guess, what, what would your advice be to, I guess, one medical students that are like, you know, considering internal medicine, or maybe they're interested in cardiology. Um, and then want to kind of go down that route, which I guess you mentioned, like, you know, that you were involved in research projects and, and you did a number of shadowing. Is that kind of like the it sounds like those were helpful for you, not only to help you make your decision, but um, also, you know, helped, I'm sure help like with your application and, and things like that. Are those kind of the experiences you would advise med students to kind of seek out if they're, if they're interested in either medicine or, or cardiology eventually? Absolutely. Looking back, I think the, the biggest thing that helped me kind of guide my path to cardiology was really the mentors that I had early on throughout medical school. You know, they not only kind of gave me a glimpse into the world of cardiology, but, you know, got me involved in the research process. I think uh, that exposure early on has really helped me with kind of continued research and uh, in other interests as well in kind of the innovation space. Now, thinking back to medical school and uh, and working with medical students on, on services as well, you know. I, I would say if you're interested in internal medicine, um, try to make the most of that internal medicine rotation. It is so busy, I know, but you know, when you're calling consultants, you know, take the time to, to ask them questions, ask them, ask them why um, there's certain decisions being made. And, you know, if there's going to be a procedure for one of the patients that you're following, I think what could help kind of further expose you into the world of internal medicine and subspecialties beyond is is kind of is go ahead and ask if it's okay if you kind of tag along and you, you're there for the procedure you're there for the if it's GI for the endoscopy um, it's if it's cardiology and your patients going to the cath lab see if it's okay if you kind of if you tag along and more likely not going to be able to scrub into these things but just see what's going on and see what the cath lab is like see what the endoscopy suites like um, if it's rheumatology like watch the rheumatologist tap the joint or, or, you know, go examine the crystals on the microscope. You know, I think there's a lot to internal medicine and it's a field with many different avenues. I think the, the kind of six weeks that you're on it, uh, you can, you can get caught up doing the same thing over and over again, but I think uh, a, any good teaching team is going to want you to, to make the most of your experience and, 
and see why they like it so much too. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. I, I actually remember as a med student, like I remember I had patients on medicine that like went to the cath lab and like going and watching, um, you know, the cath lab and, you know, how things are done in there. And it's an exciting place. It's, I think even if you don't end up doing cardiology, it's, it's just a, a cool thing to see, um, for sure. So, yeah, no, I think that's, that's great advice and just getting the most out of like your rotation and you're getting that exposure. I, I remember we, when I was on wards, we always like encourage med students to like, you know, go to a procedure, like you said, or, you know, go to the, you know, pathology lab with one of the subspecialists or something like that to, to look at a sample. So yeah, definitely, I guess kind of moving beyond that. And I think med students would be definitely be interested in this too. Like when you, when you're a medicine resident, what are kind of like the big things you need to like focus on if, if you are, if say you've made that commitment to cardiology, like what are kind of the things that the fellowship directors are looking for? Or like, what are, like, what, what are like kind of the things you, the boxes essentially you need to check to apply to cardiology fellowship? Coming into internal medicine, I already knew that I had a, a very big interest in cardiology. Um, so I was able to start looking for mentors um, within the Emory system and was lucky to find uh, many uh, right away to, to get involved in not only in, in clinic, uh, but also with research. Um, and from that research, I was able to apply to some different conferences and get some abstracts uh, presented as poster presentations. And from those abstracts, we were able to um, end up writing a few different uh, papers uh, some of them being case reports, others being full research articles. or um, And I, I think that is very helpful, um, not only in that you have scholarly activities to, to show, but also the relationships that you form with those mentors and um, the advice that, they, that they're able to give um, and point you in the right direction and, and also act as, as strong letter writers. Um, that have not only seen you on a, maybe an inpatient service, but worked with you in clinic and then seen what you can do on the research side of things. I also think it's a, it's really important to show how well you work on a medicine team. Uh, a lot of cardiology is working with a multidisciplinary team. Um, so and how you, how you work with uh, the nursing staff and, um, your interns and APPs and nurse practitioners all, all really matters. And I think the more that you can show you're an effective communicator and, um, and you're able to coordinate complex care, um, goes a long way. Awesome. Yeah, no, I th that's, that sounds, uh, it sounds like that, you know, mentorship's been a, like a key role, a key part of your, your path for sure. And, and that makes sense. Like you, I mean, I, I can say I've, gotten to where I am as well. Thanks to, thanks to good mentorship as well. I think that a good mentor is, uh, priceless. It's uh, definitely both, both as like a guide, but then also, as you said, like someone who can vouch for you when you go to a, apply for wherever you're trying to go, I guess kind of, uh, closing things out a little bit. We were talking about this. Um, you know, we both have this interest in medical innovation. Uh, maybe tell us a little bit about like your, your interest in medical innovation and where, like kind of what you're, how you hope to integrate that into your, your career as a cardiologist. Yeah, this is, this is something that really excites me. Uh, again, you know, starting in medical school, I was, I worked with a, a cardiologist. I was, was developing a new assay 
Um, so I got to see kind of his decision-making process and how he would go through the steps of, you know, testing and then uh, putting it out there and, uh, and, and then talking with industry partners about next steps. And, you know, I found out about Emory's medical distinction in medical innovation. And that was something that was really appealing to me. And there's actually two tracks, one through the internal medicine residency and the other kind of a graduate medical education GME wide distinction track. So I was able to, to learn a lot about the innovation process from each of these tracks and found out about all the different resources in the, in the Atlanta area. One of them being our, our partnership with Georgia Tech, some of the smartest engineers right across town from us. Um, and I most recently got involved in one of the biomedical engineering capstone projects. You know, biomedical engineering was my undergraduate degree, and I remember doing an undergrad capstone project. So uh, this time I kind of flipped the script and I was able to act as kind of the, the problem proposer and then the clinical mentor along the way. And uh, the, the problem kind of came out of starting to do telemedicine visits um, at, the, at the onset of COVID, not being able to really conduct the physical exam, being pretty limited. And my interest in cardiology, I was interested in, to see if we could come up with a low cost telemedicine stethoscope. And I was just astounded with what the team of engineers that picked my idea were able to come up with. Through the innovation distinction program, I learned about other resources in the area. Uh, we, we were exposed to working with the Office of Tech Transfer here at Emory and I've seen how it works at Georgia Tech too. So we were able to pitch our idea and get a provisional patent. And I'm very happy to say, and very excited to say the team after they've graduated has continued to run with the idea and they're working on a, a second prototype to incorporate a electrocardiogram along with the telemedicine kind of auscultation capabilities. And we recently were awarded um, a, a venture prize to kind of fund our, our continued work. So I'm, I'm very excited to, to see where it goes. Awesome. Con con congrats on that, man. That's, uh, that's, that's really cool. And then to really see like an idea kind of come to full fruition like that, that's, um, I mean, obviously, you know, that's, there's a lot of ideas out there, but actually like bring it to kind of a space, uh, and a stage where you're, you know, really making good headway on it. That's, that's awesome. Congrats on, on that and, and more, more success ahead. I hope. Thank you. Thanks. We, we hope so too. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> and, you know, this is a, this is an avenue that I think uh, it just works very well with cardiology as there, there's constant innovation in the field. Uh, and, you know, I, I do really enjoy telemedicine and I know that there, there's, uh, actually a, a big place for it within the world of heart failure management. Um, so I would, I would love to be able to incorporate this later on in my career too. That's great. That's great. And uh, um, I think cardiology, like you said, it seems like there's always something new coming out for in that field. So it's, uh, you know, a very exciting field and obviously heart disease continues to be, you know, a major, a major uh, health issue uh, in, in the U S and the world at large. So I'm sure it's a field that's, you know, seen a lot of innovation still ripe for even more innovation in the years to come. 
Well, Matt, to kind of finish this off here, I ask every guest this, you know, in the sense, in this age of trying to keep your, our balance, our lives balanced, what do you, what do you do with your, your free time outside the hospital when you're not developing telemedicine devices or, or working as a cardiology <laughs> fellow? <laughs> Love spending time with my wife and my, my yellow lab puppy. We are, we have been on plenty of adventures. We, we love going for, for big walks around the Atlanta area, um, stopping off at our, our local favorite place, the family dog down in the, in the Highlands. Um, and, and, and also getting gelato at, at Paolo's gelato place. We also are, are lucky to have a relative out at Lake Oconee. Um, so I have taken up the wakeboarding um, and and been trying to to stay on my feet on on the board uh, <laughs> out there. I am very lucky to be uh, close to close to where I grew up. So my my parents are around and uh, my little brother too. So it's it's always great to be able to spend time with friends and family. Uh, and I'm I'm very excited uh, to see more concerts uh, become available. Uh, I've got a good group of friends that that are really into music festivals and uh, and we'd love to see live music come back into into the field. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, that's awesome. Well, uh, Matt, it's been a pleasure talking with you, and I've certainly learned more about uh, the field of cardiology, and I'm I'm sure the listeners have as well. So thanks for for taking time on your busy schedule to join us, and I uh, uh, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Maxwell. This is great. And I hope this was helpful as medical students and residents um, go through internal medicine and, and think about cardiology. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour, brought to you by Da Vinci Academy. More episodes are available on our website at dviacademy.com, our YouTube channel. They're also available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also on our website, you can find our video courses for anatomy, biochemistry, and histology, and they're available as month-to-month -month packages. They're also available as a combo package where you can get all three courses in one. Our website also has a store where you can find our outline format textbooks for anatomy, biochemistry, and histology. All textbooks are available in paperback version and as eBooks as well. These textbooks complement our video courses and provide a nice addition to the learning experience of allowing you to focus on the learning and not having to write anything down. On our website, we also provide a free clinical cases video series called Da Vinci Cases. Da Vinci Cases aims to help you learn how to answer USMLE questions and apply concepts that you learn in our courses to answering those questions. Our cases cover a variety of topics and organ systems, and they're updated frequently with new cases. And then lastly on our website, you can find our blog, which has interesting articles that cover medical history, important figures in medicine, and innovations in medicine. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour, brought to you by Da Vinci Academy. Please be sure to tune in for our next episode.